What's up, everybody? It's your girl, Kim Squall, and we are tuning into the fifth episode of Fly on Z-Wall podcast. Today's topic will be real estate 101, everything you need to know about real estate, right? And who better to ask than the expert, my brother, my friend, and my personal realtor, Mr. Aaron Matthews. I'm going to have him introduce himself. Go ahead, Aaron. All right. So, Kim, I appreciate you inviting me on to your podcast. You're always up to something, educating the people. And so I'm just thrilled to be here. I'm excited um, because my passion is helping people um, and people gravitate to those that genuinely have a concern for their well-being, their financial uh, stability. And so I just want to be a vessel to facilitate and help those that, that want to be helped. So, just a little bit about myself. My name is Aaron Matthews. Um, I actually met Kim while serving in the military. Um, I did 20 years of that. I retired in 2017. Okay, and while I was still on active duty serving as one of the AIT platoon sergeants, aka drill sergeants, they hadn't introduced that yet, um, I got into real estate. And the reason that I got into real estate is because it's like, hey, this is a major purchase that a lot of people are making. And specifically for myself, I wanted to be knowledgeable on what happens behind the curtain. Okay. And so I, I've been on the other side of the curtain for the last, going on five years now. And I will tell you all, it's not who you know, it's what you know when it comes to real estate. Okay. And so I'll dive right into it, Kim, whenever you're ready, get ready. Let's go ahead and make this a very interesting uh, podcast because this is my passion. So I don't have to. You already know I am always ready. Like you said, you know, we, we, this is passionate. Um, and just so everybody know out there, Aaron is the reason behind me owning my first home, which is why I asked him to come on to this podcast to talk to you guys about it because I wasn't the most the easiest client right i wanted this and i wanted that and as a realtor they have to be more personable with you so we'll get into all those questions but as you know i like to dive right into it right so as we know there are several pitfalls with real estate right mm -hmm. so how do we avoid the pitfalls of real estate right so my first question to you Aaron, what's the best time to purchase real estate? Is it like now when, you know, there's a whole COVID thing going on or the economy is crashing or like, what do we wait? Like what, when is the best time to you that we purchase real estate? So in the world of real estate, if you talk with, you know, seasoned agents, they're going to say the best time to buy is today. Okay. But I look at this from a couple of different perspectives. Okay. It depends on your financial state. Okay, because you have to be ready financially from a credit standpoint to be ready to strike on one of the largest purchases that you're going to make in your life. Right. And so what I have seen and what I've researched, if we go back to the 1970s and 80s, interest rates were in double digits during that time frame. And this is kind of one of the legways that I do with my clients. I say, well, hey, what happens if you don't purchase now? at this current time when they're at historical lows and your kids are reading in the history books, oh, well, my mom and my dad, they didn't purchase when it was at like 3% interest. What, what's up? And so that comes with a certain level of knowledge that one, the client has to bring to the table and two, that the real estate agent um, brings to see what's the best fit for that individual. 
Now, historically, at the end of the year, it's typically the best time to purchase. Reason being that from a builder's perspective, okay, they're looking at offloading their inventory so they don't have to roll it over into the next year. They got to pay taxes on the property. They got to pay insurance, et cetera. And so it's all about margins from a builder's perspective or a seller's perspective, okay? That's one of the big takeaways. Same thing on the car side of the house. You probably want to purchase those type items at the end of the year, traditionally, okay? I, I think that makes sense. And that was a, a heavy answer. And I broke it down into like four different questions, right? Mm -hmm. So the first one I wanted to go into was the financial state. Mm -hmm. How much, like... You know, somebody is always asking how much money is the right amount of money to deposit on a home or something like that. Do you have to have like a certain amount of savings in a bank in order to purchase your first home? So I will share this rule of thumb. You want to have anywhere between two to three percent of what the purchase price of home that you're looking to, to buy. OK, that two to three percent is going to help you to pay upfront costs. OK, your home inspection your appraisal, your option money, if you're purchasing on the pre-owned side of the house. So there's different costs that's associated up front. And then you have what's considered your closing costs. Now, closing costs is something that the real estate agent is going to negotiate on your behalf. Because at the end of the day, you're going to have a budget and the hat trick is for the real estate agent not to bust your budget. And what I share with my clients is that if I don't know what your financial position is, then I don't know what to defend. <laughs> so. so you have to like disclose everything. Like, I think it's interesting. You said that, that the real estate person is the one who can negotiate. Cause there's a lot of times where people don't understand that they have some form of power, whether it be you're the buyer or the seller, you can negotiate like the final price is not most definitely not the final price, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think um, that's something interesting that you said, but what about somebody who say you have this like $250,000 house, but you only make say $1,500 a month. Would you, and the mortgage is about $1,400. Would you advise that person to purchase that home? Well, uh, I, I look at things from a lot of different angles. One, I need to know, are you getting ready to retire? Okay. Are you going to be on a fixed income? If I put you in a, in a nice neighborhood where the house prices are increases are increasing, well, maybe a year or two into your home, your property taxes go up, which causes an increase in your mortgage. And if you was comfortable at that $1,400 a month, but now it's $1,500 a month, what does that look like? So all yeah. up front is to leave some buffer room in that monthly payment that you're comfortable with. And I usually stay right around the hundred to $150 uh, underneath your budget to give room for that increase in your home, which is the equity. Okay. I, I'm glad you said equity, but I'm going to hold on to the equity until a little further down the line. Uh -huh. So I wanted to go back to something you said earlier from a credit standpoint. Mm -hmm. So do you need to have a certain credit score in order to purchase a home? Yes. And no, if you're purchasing a home cash, credit don't matter. The appraisal value, it doesn't matter <laughs> on the home, right? 
there's not a huge population of people purchasing homes cash. The vast majority of them, they're financing the home. Okay, does that make sense? It makes sense, yeah. So credit score, what is the credit score that is needed, right? In today's time, in 2021, that score is a 640 middle score. Now, let me elaborate on that a little bit. The majority of the people, they're going on Credit Karma or some of these other third-party uh, credit sites, but that's not the same pool of data that a loan officer uses. okay? So what I've seen is that if someone says, well, hey, I got a 600 credit score, I know off the bat, you're probably somewhere around a 585, somewhere up in there when, when the loan officer pulls it. So I always tell mm -hmm. my clients that whatever you're seeing, you need to go ahead and reduce it by 10, 15 points because that's what the loan officer is going to see. Okay. Before mm -hmm. COVID though, for a FHA loan, it was a 580 minimum score. And that's the middle score. The loan officer is going to kick the high out. They're going to kick the low out and use that median score. Okay. A lot of people don't know that. And they'll look at, oh, well, they'll start telling me what's the highest score that they're getting from Equifax, Experian. But that's where this education piece comes in from either the loan officer, if you've already gotten bid with the loan officer, or if you come through the real estate agent first, the real estate agent has to be knowledgeable to share that information with you to help you understand what this process looks like. And that all boils down to managing expectations. All right. I think that's important to know as well with the credit score, because a lot of people don't know that there is actually a targeted credit score. The better the credit, the better the interest rate. Right. So you spoke about the interest rate a little bit. Can you elaborate on how important the interest rate is or what the current interest rate is? Because I think I remember you saying that it's an all time low right now. So can you elaborate a little bit more on yeah, that? So interest rates, they fluctuate. Okay. And no one can say, well, hey, tomorrow the interest rate is going to be this. I don't know. No loan officer know. There's predictions that's out there. Okay. But from an interest rate standpoint, and I'll, I'll give this point here, you want to get the lowest interest rate possible. Now, remember I mentioned about the minimum credit score, 640. All right. But don't shoot for just a 640 because that, that doesn't put you into a premium interest rate. You want to shoot for a 740 plus credit score to get that top tier interest uh, rate. Make sense? What would you consider to be a top tier interest rate? And like today, we're looking at about a 2.65 interest rate. And that's without buying down the points. That's no points that, I mean, that's another topic, <laughs> which, which we can get into if you want to go there. But yeah, go there. Absolutely. You may have someone that just purchased a home and they'll tell you, oh, I got an interest rate of a 2.5. And then somebody doesn't know the dynamics of how they got there. Did they get a 2.5 just because it was the par rate? Or did they get a 2.5 because they started at a 3% and they bought the rate down a half a point to get to that 2.5? 
How can you buy a rate down? So you buy the rate down by speaking with your loan officer. And the loan officer has a sheet that's in front of them. And they'll be able to tell you, well, hey, it'll cost you X amount of dollars to buy it down an eighth of a point. It'll cost you X amount of dollars to buy it down a half a point. And at that point in time, you can say, okay, well, I'm willing to spend this money to buy the rate down because I want my mortgage to be a little lower than what it would be at the par rate. Yeah, I think I, I never even thought about that, but I remember in my process, they asked that option. I was like, no, I'm not going to give you more money. <laughs> but yeah, that is an option as well. And it's a good option for somebody who wants the better interest. Absolutely. Rate. Absolutely. And I, I'll share this story real quick. Um, and this is specifically on the VA side of the house with the VA loan. Okay. <clears throat> what a veteran can do is have another veteran assume their loan. So if I wanted to sell my house today and there's a veteran that wants to purchase my home, well, as long as that veteran um, uh, qualifies for the loan, they can assume my loan that I have an interest rate for of 2.65 because I just refinanced my house, huh. right? Versus them, versus let's say fast forward into the future and the interest rates are say 8%, and they can come and still get my same interest rate at a 2.65. Jeez, I that, didn't know that. Huge. That was that was definitely some junk that's right a nugget there. right there. There's a nugget. <laughs> All right, Aaron. So let's take it back a little mm -hmm. bit, right? So how far in advance should someone start the buying process if they want to purchase a home? Okay. So I would recommend at least six months. Okay. And the reason that I recommend six months is because some individuals, they may want to build a house from the ground up. And that process takes anywhere between four to six months once they pour the slab. Okay, If you're purchasing a pre-owned home that's already out there on the market, um, depending on where your credit is at, which is really why I'm saying that six months, it, I talk with so many clients that they're not in a position from a credit standpoint to say, hey, I'm going to submit my application right now, and two weeks down the road, they're approved for their loan. Chances are they have something that's going on with their credit that the loan officer and I is going to say, well, hey, if you do this on your credit, it's going to increase your score, which is going to give you a better interest rate. And so that time to see what your financial position is, what your credit position is, and if we need to pass guidance to improve your situation so you can have a better outcome at the end from an interest rate standpoint, from a credit standpoint, that's the time that we use. But if you're good to go at that six months, we're just going to say, hey, do not change anything that you've been doing. You're great. When you're ready to buy, say 90 days from now or 120 days from now, you're golden. You see, but this is all a part of getting a really good and an honest real estate person or an honest um, mortgage person who's willing to work with you, you know, because sometimes people just ready to close and not really care about the circumstances that you're in there. Or if you even have a circumstance, they're like, you know what, you're not a good client and kind of want to move on or stop answering your calls. So I think that that's important to have a trustworthy this is person. Huge, Kim. Um, it's very 
huge. And I'll share yesterday, my wife had a client um, that she was doing her hair with, and she had mentioned that she wanted to buy a house, but she needed to get some stuff fixed on her credit. And I said, oh, okay. I went downstairs, came back up, but something in me, because I'm a genuine person, I went back and I asked her, I said, what well, is the credit restoration company or person handling your credit? Are they doing it from a consumer standpoint? Or are they doing it from a loan officer standpoint? And she said, well, I don't know the difference. And I said, well, that realtor that told you that, they didn't share everything they needed to share with you. And so I kind of went in a little bit more and it made her understand what that process looks like. And she said, I only want you to help me because you moving parts <laughs> than just saying, oh, go fix your credit, then come back and see me. Yeah. So it, guys, if your real estate agent is not even willing to work with you, there's not one real estate person in the world. Find, you know, find the best person who suits yeah. your need. Um, so I wanted to go back to a question you said with pre-owned versus a mm -hmm. new home. What what's the difference or should somebody purchase a pre-owned home or should you try to look for a new home? What what's the advantages or disadvantages? So I would look at the pre-owned market and what the conditions are. You can have what's called a seller's market, meaning that there's not a lot of inventory of homes to select from. OK, and then that market you have more of a risk of going into what's called a multiple offer situation. Basically call it a bidding war, which you're gonna wind up paying top dollar for that house versus getting a, a pretty good deal, okay? Now, look at it from this perspective. I work with a lot of uh, military personnel that's relocating into Texas and they don't have a whole lot of time once they get into Texas to go and look for houses. So I do this strategy here and I shout with them, hey, one, you're on a timeline. Two, you need some predictability. And so it may be more advantageous for you to go the new build route. The new build route is the seller's gonna tell you, which represents the builder, that hey, we're gonna give you $5,000 towards your closing costs. Oh, great, I know that up front. Well, on the pre-owned side, I don't know what the seller is gonna give up front. So that's where negotiations come in at, okay? So it all depends on the, the client's situation, what timeline they're working with, what does their, their funds look like, okay? So it's not just a cookie cutter, uh, hey, let's go new build, or hey, let's go pre-owned. And what, what I yeah. see is when I try to reach out to individuals that inquire on a property, and, and I try to start asking them some questions. They're kind of apprehensive um, because of all of the scams and stuff that's happening and people taking advantage of other people. But at the end of the day, for somebody that really want help, you're going to have to trust somebody. Now, you're rolling the dice because there's no database that's out there to say, well, hey, you know, rank these realtors, who communicates the best, who shows up on time, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of time you're getting word of mouth that, hey, this person worked out great for me, I recommend them, okay? Well, that's yeah, absolutely. You know I recommend you all day, um, <laughs> all day if you're in that San Antonio area or even worldwide, uh, um, definitely hit him up. I'm gonna let you say your plug one more time before I go into 
the other questions that I have. Where can they find well, you? Well, you can find me at A.W. Matthews at Red Core Real Estate LLC on Facebook. Or I'm also on Instagram at A.W. Matthews Realtor. Okay. Those are the two platforms that I'm on. My personal cell phone number, I'll get this out because I don't mind. It's 210-709-2932. All right. So now we're going to go into the, the meat and the potatoes. The potatoes, right? My- <laughs> so, Aaron, who are the key personnel that you need in order or involved in purchasing a home? All right. And what are their functions? All right. So it depends on how the client comes in. All right. One savvy client may come in through a credit person. That credit person may be connected with the loan officer that refers them over to get approved. And then that loan officer may have a couple of agents that they work with, they love and they trust. And they may refer that client over to that real estate agent. All right. So that's one channel that they can come in. Um, but more often people want to connect with the realtor because a lot of people, they want to go, well, Hey, I want to go look at that house. Okay. And a loan officer can't open. Nobody else can open a house, but the real estate agent. So sometimes they'll come through the real estate agent. And again, as an agent, we have to start asking these questions. And when we start seeing it unfold, then we can say, well, Hey, one, if you're, if you're telling me up front, your credit is like a 400, it is no need for you to even go and talk with a loan officer right now. We got to take care of the credit piece. Okay. So yeah, like I like talked about <clears throat> the top individuals, your credit repair person or company, if applicable, your loan officer, because you have to get the finance piece taken care of your realtor, which is the nucleus of, connecting with all these individuals. If you start out at the wrong phase, they're going to get you back on track. A a savvy agent is going to do that. Then you're going to get connected with your home inspector. You know, that's a third party company that goes and inspects the home on your behalf, inside and out to tell you what the condition of the home is. That way we can go and negotiate those repairs uh, with the seller. Okay. The other one is going to be the appraiser. Okay. Uh, then outside of that is the escrow officer, which is where you go and close on your home at. So those individuals are the top ones that I connect with religiously. Okay. You don't have to know all of these individuals because I'm going to make my recommendation that, Hey, this is who I've been working with. This is who has the same work ethic as me. You know, the communication skills are up to par. And I recommend them. You can choose them or not. That's totally up to you. Okay. That's true. Yeah. So what's the difference with like having a realtor or like looking on Zillow or something like that to find a home? So this was just announced uh, 2020 of November, December timeframe. Okay. Zillow and Realtor and Trulia, which are the top three, uh, sites out there that house uh, these houses on. They're now brokerages. They're just like the brokers that I work with now, okay? So you as a consumer can go and look on these websites for homes, okay? At the end of the day, you're gonna need an agent 
are the seller to open up that door so you can see the interior of the home or get on the property. Okay. So that's where it's at right now. That agent protects you. Okay. A lot of clients that I talk with, I ask them, well, hey, how much you think it's going to cost for my services? And they'd be like, oh, man, a couple of thousand dollars. And I tell them, no, it's not going to cost you one copper penny for me to do what I need to do. Really? Yes. At the end of the day, I'm probably going to wind up giving you some money. How about that? (laughs) But that's just me. Every realtor is not the same. Some of them money hungry. Some of them, they like giving what's called buy credits to their clients to help them out. But, you know, you have to go and figure that out as a client. That's true. Because I know personally working with you, I ended up saving so much um, on closing costs and that type of thing, things that I would have never known. So I think that's 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 really true that you're saying um, it depends on the realtor. So what are the different type of loans that are offered to consumers? So you have the conventional loan. Okay, conventional loan is traditionally for those individuals that's that's getting uh, investment properties are these individuals are in a, in a good financial position where they can drop, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20% down on the house. Um, you also have the FHA loan. You have the VA loan. And then you have some other streamlined loans, which I'm not going to get into that piece there. But the main ones are conventional <laughs> FHA and your VA loans. I think you explained conventional loan um, uh, pretty well about investment properties, and mm-hmm. I'll ask that later. But what um, can you explain the VA loan? Like, can you use your VA loan more than one time? Do you have to use your VA loan? Um, can you go so into that? So on the VA point? loans, and so I'll make this disclaimer here. I am not a licensed loan officer, but I've been through the process enough to give you some you know, above the surface information because I don't get all into the weeds of it. That's not my specialty. But on a VA loan, um, as long as you have served in the military branch, and I believe it's um, over 180 days, you have that entitlement to utilize the VA loan. A lot of individuals that I came across, they were like, oh, I only can use it one time. No, that's not necessarily the case. Okay. You have a cap, if you will, on how much you can use. Okay. And I don't want to get into those details. Yes, you can use the <laughs> VA loan over and over again. Now, with the VA loan, um, the huge benefit of that is that you do not have a down payment requirement. On the FHA loan, you have a down payment requirement of 3.5% of the sales price of the home that you go under contract with. VA side, you just saved that 3.5. Okay, so all we worried about now on the VA loan is the closing costs. And I'll tell you on the VA mm-hmm. loan, there's plenty of service members that I've been able to help get into a home and they got money back at closing. They didn't come out of pocket other than, you know, they may <laughs> have went and got their home inspection done. But at the end of the day, they got money back at closing. And I was like, well, how did you do that? I don't give my secrets away to other mm-hmm. realtors. 
I'm telling you, sorry, other realtors, you can't get the gems. You cannot get the gems. If you want to get the gems, you have to go to A.W. Matthews Realtor on Instagram. And you're not going to get it there. The only ones I have is my team <laughs> members, so I can help them become successful. <laughs> All right, Aaron. So um, you spoke about um, purchasing investment mm-hmm. properties, right? And you spoke about the different type of loan mm-hmm. that's used for that. So what is the difference with an investment property versus your um, primary All right, so property? So your primary property is the property that you live in. And the, the, the guidelines state that if you're purchasing a single family residential home, and it's not investment, that's where you live in it. On the investment side of the house, that's like you already own a home and I wanna purchase another house somewhere in the United States or wherever, and that's my investment property. Well, you can't use the VA loan for investment properties. It's for your personal use. So you may have a VA loan for your primary residence, and then you're using a conventional loan for your investment properties, okay? Which has a higher uh, down payment requirement on the conventional side versus the Absolutely. I say absolutely, it does. But I will say this, if you're looking at getting into the investment side uh, of the house, I always, you know, point my clients to the loan officer because they have to look at the overall picture on what's going on to tell you, hey, this is what I can get you in at, from a down payment standpoint. This is what your interest rate is going to be. And before you even put an offer in on that house, I'm going to tell you what your estimated payment is going to be on that property. That way you can look at the numbers and see, okay, well, am I going to make a profit when I turn this deal or not? Because you have to have a return on your investment, right? You have to have a positive cash flow. Don't get into an investment property if there's no cash flow. Um, speaking from per- personal experience, because if there's no cash flow, something may happen with the house and you mm-hmm. have to come out of pocket. So if it's an investment, make your money work for you. Don't actually get something that you have to be paying um, out of. I think that's that is, extremely if you, important. If it don't make money, it don't make sense. It don't make sense. You can, <laughs> you're absolutely right. So, um. If you have an investment property, can you choose your tenants? Like, can you choose the people who live inside your house? There's a discrimination piece in there. And you as a landlord, you cannot, or me as a realtor, you cannot discriminate and say, well, hey, I only want, you know, this ethnic group to reside in this house. I only want a military member to reside in this house. You, You cannot discriminate. And that may be, you know, a reason to bring a real estate agent into the fold so they can pass that guidance on to you so you don't get into no situation where you're getting sued. You're right. But can you like look at to say if somebody applies for your home, can you look if to see if they're a good candidate or oh, not? Absolutely. Or so at all? If, if you're the landlord and you put the for rent sign in your yard, you put it on all of these websites and you start getting, you know, these potential tenants to inquire about the home and you get a couple of applications in, right? You as the landlord, you're going to screen those applications. You're going to run their credit. You're going to run a background check so you can see, you know, what is this individual about? Do they have stable income? Have they been on their job for at least a year? 
because you're taking a risk on that individual. And yes, at the end of the day, you can say, well, hey, I'm choosing this person or this family over this other family. But you have to notify the okay. individuals that you did not choose on why. If it was credit, you simply write a letter where, hey, your credit score is not where it needs to be at. It's more of a risk on me as the landlord because you're getting out of jobs. Uh, so, yeah. I didn't know that. And, and that's what the property management companies do. But if some people, they take the property management uh, company out of the fold because that's, that's a middleman in the big scheme of things. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, another question. Would you advise people to have a property manager, right? Mm -hmm. So the reason I asked, um, personally, I didn't have a property manager. I don't have a property manager, but thank God my tenants are mm -hmm. absolutely amazing um, tenants. But I had a friend of mine who his property manager inspected his home twice a year. And during that semi-annual inspection, they found that the, per the tenant ran down mm -hmm. the home completely and devalued the home actually. So would you advise somebody to, to get a property manager? Because you do have to pay the property manager. I think it's what, 10% yeah, per so month or it. something like that? So what- Yeah, it's right, anywhere between seven to 10%. And that's here in the state of Texas. I can't speak on the other 50 states and territories. Um, but that really depends on the landlord's uh, appetite. One landlord may say, well, hey, I'm, I'm new at this and I really don't know what's going on. So I, I want to have that top cover. I'm willing to pay the seven to 10 percent of the rent that you all receive each month to manage this for me. Or you may be a more seasoned person and say, well, hey, I'm not paying them seven to 10 percent. All they're going to do is if something break in the house. They're going to contact a contractor, a subcontractor, go get some quotes. They're going to contact me anyway and say, well, hey, which one you want to go with? So you're still involved as the landlord. Okay. But it, it depends mm -hmm. on the landlord's appetite. Do they want to deal with the clients um, or do they not? That's really what it boils down to. Um, I've seen military families that, that, that had to leave and they said, hey, Aaron, you helped us purchase our house. Um, we want to lease our house out and I'll give them the option. I say, I can do all the legwork, get you the tenants, um, but I'm not a property management company. So either you're <laughs> going to manage it through your residential service contract. Okay. If anything breaks, they contact the yeah. residential service company and they'll come out there, evaluate it and, and get the job done. Or you push that off onto the property management company, but they're going to charge you for that. So it, 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 it comes down to what the numbers look like in, in that landlord's portfolio. Yeah. Is it advantageous for me to bring in a property management company or not? And it also depends on your tenants as well. Um, just depending on the tenant lifestyle as well. Be like, you know, you might need a property manager to inspect that home because of whatever reason uh, I, I think it depends on the tenants that you have. <laughs> so, um, Aaron, what would you advise? Would you advise somebody who wants to purchase like a quadruplex or a duplex to have a property manager or would you still stick by? Yeah, it, it still on depends the on a landlord. Um, you, if you, you are the landlord, um, it depends. Uh, I, I've had individuals to purchase a multifamily home and they stay on one side and their tenants stayed on the other side. 
Well, you as the landlord, you may not want to stay next door to your tenants because they're come knocking on your door. Hey, this broke this. You may not want to deal with that. Okay. So your appetite. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've seen it to where <clears throat> on one of the deals that I did, there was a disclosure that was in there that said, well, hey, buyer, you're, you're going to have to use this particular property management company to lease out the other side of the house. And at that time, my clients, they had to say, well, okay, Aaron, we're okay with that because they wanted me to go and find their uh, tenants and they wanted me to kind of oversee that process. But it was nothing that I can do because it was written into the contract. Well, not into the contract, but into a disclosure once we was on the contract that stated, hey, you have to use XYZ Realty Property Management Company. Yeah. And sometimes you kind of don't like that because you kind yeah. of feel like you're not given an option. If it's your house, why do I have to use this company as my property manager? But if you like the place, you see that it's going to be a good return on investment for yourself, then go for it. If not, it's not one house in the world. Definitely check yeah. out other ones as well. So what about people who have their properties and even investment properties? Can you use a home in general for a tax write-off? So yes. Um, so any repairs that you do on your homes is, is used as a tax write-off, okay? Which is the home, owning a home or owning investment properties, that's one of the biggest tax write-offs that you can have. So as you uh, <laughs> grow in, in financial stature, at some point in time, there's only so much money that you can put into your 401ks, et cetera. And if you still have all this excess money that you don't just want sitting in the bank because it's not drawing a lot of interest, then you may want to, you know, take that path. Well, hey, let me go and get me an investment property so I can have this additional write-off to reduce my taxable income. All right. So mm -hmm. it, it all depends on where that individual is at um, and what makes sense to either get into uh, investing are not right now with this whole COVID deal that's going on trust and believe it's a lot of landlords that's out there that's very upset because the tenants are not having to pay the, the rent because oh, they don't have so a job <laughs> but the landlord at the end of the day is still responsible for the mortgage so it's, it's very yeah. sticky right now. That's why tensions are high trying to figure this thing out. So, you know, right now. So be very careful if you're going to be an investor in a home because anything can happen, as, as he said, um, with COVID happening and the new regulations, yeah. anything can happen. So that's something make sure you have to be very cash. careful of. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying, make sure that you have some cash, yeah. uh, you know, on the side. To, yeah. For those rainy days, like there's a lot of people that wasn't anticipating what happened in March of last year, and it flipped it upside down. It's so it's so hard to believe mm -hmm. that occurred up to a year. So you always hear people use the term equity. What is equity, equity and how equity, do I build equity? It? All right. So equity is the amount of money that you have in your home. So let's say that you purchased this house for two hundred thousand dollars in twenty twenty. 2021, the long and, and, and the way to find out what equity you have in your home, you bring in a real estate agent and they run what's called the comparables. 
in that same neighborhood and they'll see that, hey, if you wanted to sell this house right now, these houses that's very similar to yours, they're selling for 225. Okay. So now if I could sell that same house that I bought last year for $200,000, but I know this year that they're selling for 225, that tells me that I have roughly about $25,000 in equity. Because when I sell my property, I'm going to pay my loan off, which is $200,000. And then the difference that I have on that sale was that 50 grand. They cut that check at title when you close. And that's, that's the money. That's what your equity is. Okay. So do you put that money in your pocket or what would you do? Um, so if I came day? up $50,000 off of selling one of my properties, I may be moving up to a larger house and I want to use a portion of that money for my moving expenses. I want to use another portion of that money for my down payment on my next home or, hey, I just came up with $50,000. You know, I want to go ahead and play the stock <laughs> markets right now because cryptocurrency is hitting, you know, is the money. Oh, oh, that's a, that's a different topic. There you go. <laughs> I throw that in there too, because we talk about money. But um, you have the luxury of doing whatever you want to do. It's your money. It's your money. That's I think that's the basic thing. It is your money. You made twenty five thousand dollars on your money yes, on your house on your twenty five. <laughs> um. So when is a good time right. to refinance? So on the refinancing, that depends, right? What I've seen happen here lately is my clients that closed in 2020, okay, they start receiving letters saying, well, hey, now's the time to refinance. Now's the time to refinance. Everybody that purchases a home, believe it or not, you're going to get so much mail coming to you because now you're a homeowner because your credit's good, you're financially stable, right? And this particular client, she called and said, well, hey, Aaron, this is a good time to refinance. And I said, well, you've been in the house two years. I looked at the comps and I said, well, hey, the houses are selling for X amount of dollars over what you purchased for. And I deferred her over to the loan officer because at the end of the day, refinancing is closing on a home again, period. Now, if mm -hmm. you have equity in your home, it's not money per se that's coming out of your pocket. Depending on your situation, the loan officer may say, well, hey, you got $50,000 worth of equity here. To, in order to refinance your home, the closing cost is going to be, say, $5,000 that you don't have to go to the bank and pay the loan officer. They just take it out of your equity to reduce your interest yeah. rate. So you may have started off with a 5% interest rate, for example interest rates dip to historical lows. Now you can get it at, say, 3%. That's two points difference. That's a lot of money. That makes the difference because that 2% difference may be the difference of four or $500 um, of return on your investment every month. And that's so don't even but understand. But the loan officer will, will ask a series of questions, at least mine will, will ask a series of questions. Well, hey, how long do you plan on staying in the home? Um, uh, uh, you know, how much money do you have? So he'll contact me and find out, you know, is there equity in the home? So I, I give him that information. Um, there's an appraiser that goes out there to give the true market value of the home. 
Okay, and based off that information, the loan officer will say, well, hey, it is advantageous for you because you're going to save 100, 200, 300, whatever that amount is. Or, hey, if I refinance you from a 5% to, uh, say, a four and three quarters, you're only going to see a $25 change, but it costs you another, say, $5,000 in closing costs to do the deal. But you're telling me that you want to sell a house in a year. Well, that's not advantageous for you to do at that point in time. It's not a, it's not a good money making decision. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that so have sense, that loan yeah. officer to give you what's called a side by side comparison, um, which generates some questions that you're going to get asked to determine if it's suitable for you to refinance or not. I think something you just said, mm-hmm. the side by side comparison. Um, made me want to ask, what is the difference with a 15-year loan versus a 30-year loan? It's half, half the time. It's the first big thing, right? The other piece is that (laughs) you may have a slightly higher uh, payment in in reality. Well, hey, I got a $1,500 payment on a 15-year note, but if I did a 30-year note, and this is, for example, it's $1,800, you may be in a position to where, okay, well, mm-hmm. I can afford up to $2,000 a month. Well, let's go ahead and go with the 15-year note because I'm going to take that difference of money that I was going to spend up to that $2,000 and I'm going to apply that toward the principal <laughs> each month or making a 13th mm-hmm. payment. So it depends on what the situation is with the client. Are you getting ready to retire in the next 15 years? Is that why you selected a 15-year note? Because you're going to be going on a fixed income in the next 15 mm-hmm. years, but you want to pay it off in 10? You know, so it again, there's questions that have to be asked. Depends on the person. They don't like being asked questions <laughs> because they feel that. And from the, mm-hmm. from the investor standpoint, it really doesn't make a difference as long as you have a good return on investment, right? So if you're an investor, the whole point of being an investor is to uh, have a positive cash flow coming in. So if you're going to have a better cash flow with a 30-year loan, I would stick to the 30-year loan because you don't know if you might want to sell the house in like five years after that, you know, as opposed to increasing the mortgage amount and having less return on um, income every month. I, I mean, it just really depends on the person and the situation, yes, like you said. So the, the last question I'm going to ask you, Aaron, because uh, we know you're busy over there making them, <laughs> selling them houses. <laughs> what are the pros and cons? All right, HOA. So I've seen this go two ways. I've had individuals that have toys like fifth wheels. They have dirt bikes and all this stuff there. And the HOA may have what what's called deeds and covenants, right? And in those deeds, covenants, and restrictions for that particular community, it may say, "Well, hey, no, no fifth wheels can be parked on the street or parked in the driveway." Okay, that may turn somebody off. Well, I don't want nobody telling me where I can park my vehicles at, yada, yada, yada. But then you can have the other person on the other side that says, well, hey, I want to have an HOA because I want the community to be maintained. I don't want people to start painting their houses pink and Uncle Charlie leaving his broke down, you know, 
car on the side of the street and it's <laughs> which would bring down the value of your home yes. which is why they wouldn't so want that yes i look me personally i look at it from a perspective i'm i made an investment and at the end of the day i want my investment to keep increasing in value and not decreasing and that's why I elected to purchase a brand new home in a subdivision that had HOAs because I'm all about my coins. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Thank you so much, Aaron. Um, you've been such a helpful person to my life in my real estate process. And I hope that everybody listening to this will take something from it, apply it, listen to it over and over and over again so that these topics can sink into your brain get them cemented. I think one of my key takeaways from this is to get a real estate agent that you, that will, that's willing to work with you in your situation, not just somebody who's money hungry right. and just want to, to sell you a house, right? So there's not one real estate agent in the world, but definitely get the one that's right for you. Um, so Aaron, thank you again. I just want you to reiterate to the people yep. where they can find you at. And um if you guys have any questions, hit him up on his DMs. Questions, very helpful. We'll Absolutely. Always so you can find me on AW Matthews Realtor on Instagram. Or if you're on the book, you can find me at AW Matthews at Redcore Real Estate, comma, LLC. Let's go to work. Let's right, go to work. Thank you so much.